this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Discourse, a short-form, one-on-one interview podcast with filmmakers, actors, and other industry folks, brought to you by The Playlist and hosted by myself, Mike D'Angelo. My guest today is an actor, a novelist, a director, and a member of sci-fi royalty. The great David Duchovny is on the show today. Uh, He's currently out promoting two projects, his film The Estate, which is currently available on demand and is a dark comedy that follows two sisters, played by Toni Collette and Anna Faris, who are basically trying to butter up their aunt in order to inherit her wealthy estate. David plays their bumbling pervert of a cousin named Dick, who has similar motives. Uh, The second project he's promoting is his first graphic novel named Kepler, which releases on December 27th. Fans of Mr. Duchovny will know he's a best-selling novelist, but this is his first foray into science fiction and graphic novels when it comes to the written word. Um, This follows three hominid species, either descended from Neanderthals or apes, on an Earth-like planet that is on the brink of environmental extinction and war. I've seen both The Estate and Red Kepler. Both are excellent. My conversation with David is as wide-ranging as his career. We talk about The Estate, we talk about Kepler, but we also talk about his upcoming films, You People, from Kenya Barris and Jonah Hill, and his return to directing with Bucky Effing Dent, based on uh, his own novel. Of course, no conversation with David would be complete without chatting about The X-Files, which holds a special place in my heart for reasons I will explain at the top of the interview. Uh, I will note that David had to do the interview over the phone last minute because of his crazy schedule, so the audio sounds a bit like a phone call from his end, but I'll certainly take what I can get when it comes to a conversation with David Duchovny. Uh, Before I shoot you over to the interview, I've got to tell you that The Discourse is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes The Playlist Podcast, Bingeworthy, Be Real, Deep Focus, The Fourth Wall, Yellowstoners, and more. We can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite shows. Be sure to subscribe and drop us a comment or rating as we do very much appreciate it. Okay, here's my conversation with the great, the wonderful David Duchovny. 
right, David, right up front, I just want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Absolutely want to get to your graphic novel, Kepler, and your film, The Estate. But I at least want to start out by telling you that The X-Files was my late father's favorite show of all time. We got to watch a lot of episodes together back when it was airing. And I just want to say thank you for giving me something I can revisit and feel like I'm spending a little time with my dad. Oh, that's great. You know, it's really nice to hear. I'm I'm, I'm in the midst of editing, uh, doing my director's cut, actually, of uh, Bucky Fucking Dent from my novel, which is really a father's and son's story. So yeah, I appreciate that sentiment at this moment. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely something I cherish um, and, and revisit often. But now I know we got a lot to kind of touch on today. Let's start out with The Estate, which I watched yesterday. Really enjoyed it, especially Dick. How did that come to you, and how immediate of a yes is a part like Dick for you? Uh, it just came to me, you know, through the normal ways, through through my agents, and you know, I looked at it and I thought, I really thought it was a funny movie in in the in the kind of vein of uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, or you know, even like Dinner for Schmucks, uh, a kind of a tone that I hadn't seen in a while, just a kind of a you know dark farcical almost vicious tone and i thought it was really funny so you know i had some not not really notes but further discussions that i wanted to have about richard before before saying yes but dean craig who's the writer director was was really open to a lot of stuff that i wanted to bring to that just to make him a little more not really weighty but just a little more present present than he was in the script that i got so uh okay I love characters like Dick in these kind of movies where they don't have to shoulder that emotional weight, but they're this tool of chaos and absurdity um, (laughs) that are just perfect. What did you add in uh, when you were mentioning, yeah, you were, you were talking about changing the character a little bit. Was there something you brought to it specifically? Well, I, I think I'd said, you know, he doesn't have his like set piece moment, you know, where you kind of feel who the, who the guy is aside from, you know, uh, I, I can't really remember, but I, I did say it just had, you know, I, I just didn't, there were, there were parts of him that I didn't get. Not that I needed like a full dossier on the guy to understand <laughs> him, but <clears throat> one of the things that I suggested was uh, the mirror app thing. Cause that was something that, that, <laughs> that, that was totally me because I had, I had, I had thought that at some point, like five years ago, I was like, Oh my God, this is a great idea. And I started calling people like, how would I, how would I, make this you know i don't know how to write code uh how, how do you make the mirror app and they were like well that's your that's your camera so that was all me that's and amazing so i i said get me a space for me to like come to that conclusion and i think actually you know the whole cousin stuff was was added not not that i had asked for it to be added but i think when i'd said i needed to feel like richard kind of i needed to feel like his through line just a little more um, I, I think that stuff was added by Dean at that point. The, you know, my attraction to uh, to Tony Collette's character and, and that. So I could be I could be wrong about that, but it was not something <laughs> that I I asked for. But it was something that maybe had come about with me asking for a little more to do. Yeah, it's a wonderful through line, and I also love that they're sprinkling like these hints that he's totally making up everything that he tells you about his past. And there may be like some sexual misconduct in there as well. Really funny stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like, you know, what I like about him is he's a, he's, he's quite honest about himself, even though he's a terror, he's a, you know, he's a liar about everything, <laughs> but, but he's, he's kind of forthright about his needs. Yeah, for sure. 
I understand yeah. that you were asked to pick the fake penis that you had a bit of a tug of war with on set. How was? How was well, that I wasn't. Done? I wasn't asked. I, I I wasn't asked. I was asked to be involved in the decision making process. Oh, so there was a board of members picking the picking. I had a seat at the table. I was in the room where it happened. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's switch gears to to Kepler. I received an advanced copy of that as well from Dark Horse. Read it. Really enjoyed it. I was reading through like the foreword and the notes that that come after. I saw that you originally wrote this as a TV series, which when I was reading it, I was like, man, this would make a really good TV show. And it feels built to be yeah. one. I'm guessing, was it budget was an issue? How long were you pitching this around? I was really in development with a producer that I met. I had just like written the pilot. I didn't even write a series or, or, or have a series document, but I'd had this this idea and the pilot would i don't know the pilot would maybe encompass maybe three or four pages of this of, of the graphic novel but it was way more of like a family drama you know mm. and, and and tonally it was just really weird it was a hard sell i, I really didn't know how to sell it and then <laughs> as we were working on it it just became clear that that i had to get down the, the bones of like this epic story around some kind of family drama that I could, you know, discover and <clears throat> discover later. So I would say the pilot was a lot funnier, a lot, a lot more human mm. and, and less, less sci-fi in terms of like the, the broad sweep of the show. But I, I didn't really pitch it that much. I just, once, once I, I did go over to dark horse and I pitched it and they were like, well, it's a big bite, you know, it's, it's such a, it's an expensive, it's an expensive show. And, and I, I'm not sure if they're, they're not themselves producing shows of, of that expensive. So we'd love to see it as a, you know, a comic or a graphic novel. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. And then I just kind of veered off into that with the hope that once I finished this, this graphic novel, that maybe people could see what I saw in it, you know, cause it was hard to explain. I guess the biggest hurdle when we say this in the, uh, and one of the forwards, I think Philip Philip puts it in a way that I would never put it. Philip Sevy, the the artist, but the the hard sell of the show was like, what's well, so what do these guys live like? It's like Ico commercial, or you know, it's <laughs> like uh, are they goofy looking the Anderthals walk, walking the wrong way on an escalator? And so it was hard to, as Sevy puts it in the intro, he says, you know, to to, to make these other hominid species exist in a way that they could actually have a romantic relationship with a human, you know, yeah. that, that they, that it was not laughable or, or disgusting or, or seem like bestiality and yet to keep them as different enough from us as possible so that you'd believe this is a distinct type of hominid. So that was really tough to do unless you could actually draw it out, you know, and it's like, if you're, if you're trying to pitch it as a TV show, you're going, well, are we talking about prosthetics? Are we talking about, heavy C cgi uh what is it exactly and, and those were questions i really couldn't answer you know right and the amount you'd have to do in a tv series would just be exactly insane. it would be insane so unless you could really you know get people on board with this story which i think is is a possibility sure um that would that that, that kind of would at least in the graphic novel form the CGI and or prosthetic makeup was not onerous, actually. You know, it was just the drawing of it. So that's that's how I felt we could get. I could get the story told and then maybe reach out into telling it in other media. Yeah. 
it's a really interesting, there's a lot of great world building in it. Very Planet of the Apes. I know a lot of people have referenced Planet of the Apes. There's a little bit of expanse yeah. in there. Were you looking at anything else for for inspiration as far as maybe sci-fi resources? Planet of the Apes was was a show uh, was a movie that I loved when I was a kid. Absolutely. Um, I don't really know the the more recent iteration of it. Um, I know that it's amazing, you know, CGI stuff, and a lot of it is to have the actual monkey, you know, mm. speaking and and and. And I, you know, and, and I think that has obviously that has an appeal because they did well. For for me, it was really that moment, that reversal of when Charlton Heston sees mm. the Statue of Liberty up at Point Doom. I didn't know it was Point Doom at the time. I didn't know it was in L.A. <laughs> but uh, you know, that blew my mind. As a young boy, I just didn't see it coming, and so I've always wanted if I could tell a story that could, could kind of reverse that, you know, right. which is, you know, it's not that we've been on earth all the time. It's that we haven't been on earth all the time. It's not that we're on this alien planet where, where monkeys are ruling. And yet in, in my story, it was like, we seem to be on the earth and these aliens are coming, but the aliens are human, you know? So it was, it was just kind of a, a flat out reversal of, of that kind of a reveal, which I think in the graphic novel is, you know, it comes at the end of book one, but I think that would be, you know, a, a bigger moment in, in a television series where you're like, oh shit, we're the aliens, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of twist moments like that in the books itself. It's also like, there's a lot of great ways that you play with human behavior within it, you know, like within these new ape species that you've created for this planet. It's a great way to kind of bring people back and frame it in a different way where they can examine human behavior and not necessarily be preachy about it, which is something that, that great sci-fi does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that, that was the appeal to me because I'd never embarked upon a sci-fi idea. And the appeal to me was the ability to be allegorical you mm. know, in, in a way that is, is accepted in sci-fi. And, and, you know, you asked about the, the inspirations, the Planet of the apes is obviously one, but the other, and the other one that was more recent and that kind of spurred the whole conception to me was was reading that book Sapiens probably five or sure. six years ago. Reading about the number of hominids <clears throat> that shared the planet with us at, at the dawn of our civilization and what the hell happened to them, you know, and why did we win? How much how much did we have to do with the genocide of, of these other species? Or did we just merely outcompete them and, and win the planet that way? And my personal feeling is that, you know, we probably were not so kind to our <laughs> to our relatives. On top of that, you know, this is all unrecorded history, which is fascinating to me. Um, yeah. But it happened, you know, just because we don't know what happened doesn't mean it didn't happen. And uh, also the other inspiration would be the, the Bonobo monkey, um, mm -hmm. which there's a species of hominid in the book that is descended from bonobos or bonobo. I always get that wrong, but you know, they're a matriarchal uh, species of monkey and they're as, as close to us as chimps. They're very similar to chimps and they resolve conflict through sex and not violence. So it's like this other version, this other branch, like if we had, if we had uh, descended from distinctly bonobo monkeys rather than 
bonobos <laughs> and chimps. Or chimps, are, chimps are way more violent and, and patriarchal. So it's like, what if, what if this distinct branch had, had become its own hominid? So, you know, there's all these, there's all, all, so much luck and chance involved in, in evolution. So I, I wanted to play around with, with all these hominids that once were on this planet, you know, and had every right to be here as, as we did. And we're probably as intelligent, more intelligent in some ways, less intelligent than others. Absolutely. It sets up, like I said, a great world. I won't spoil anything for people who haven't read it, but I will say it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. Are there plans to continue yeah. this story with Dark Horse? Are you just seeing where, where things go or was what was the intention there? Yeah, well, my intention was that that wasn't the end of the story for me. It was, right. uh, it, this is the first Planet of the Apes, you know, so, okay, so here <laughs> we are. So now what do we do? You know, so yeah, there's there's way more story to tell and it all remains firmly allegorical because it's really it's really a a battle for species to get along in some way that stops them from destroying the the planet from from whence they came. Absolutely, a great read. I highly recommend it. All right, David. I know you probably look forward to the X Files questions in each interview, but as I explained earlier, it must happen. So I won't ask you about like episode details or to explain on behalf of the writers or Chris or anyone anything. But I am curious about your relationship to the X-Files at this point. I know you, much like, you know, bands that have a massive radio hit have had a complicated relationship with the X-Files over the years. What's your perspective on it in 2022? Oh, well, I mean, I have just gratitude for for the show and and amazement that that it remains, you know, uh, something that people want to want to ask me about, but but that's something that I long ago made peace with that there aren't generational shows like that. I mean, I guess they are every generation or so. So, you know, I think back to the shows that were popular when we were popular. Now, Friends is an interesting phenomenon because Netflix (laughs) has really kind of extended that life. For sure. But I can't think of uh, another show that was going on at the time that that kind of had a cultural impact in a way that... uh, and I wouldn't say Friends had a cultural impact. It just has some kind of weird longevity to it. Uh, I think it's just a really funny, good show, beautifully Absolutely, performed. Yeah. But you know, there's just something about the X Files that remains, and that, and that, and that was so, so so worldwide um, at the time. You know, those things don't happen. They don't yeah. happen. So it's really just like still amazement. You know, that that I got to be uh, part of it. I mean, I think at some point, maybe early on, I was like, oh, I got to find another one. You know, like that, but they don't exist. You know, there there isn't another one. So, even even if you look at a show like Game of Thrones, which was pervasive at some point, is almost like I'm not a big guy on the internet or social media or anything. So maybe it's pervasive still, but it feels like it kind of disappeared. You know, I mean, these days there's so much content that it's hard for anything right. to stick around that long. But the X Files penetrated, and it's still there. Even the the revival was pretty successful. Jillian yeah. obviously said she has to move on, um, which I understand. But Chris Carter, I know at one point was developing, you know, a couple options, maybe an animated series, something like that. What would it take for it is, you yeah. for for Mulder to come back? I can't really answer that question because <laughs> it's really it, it's always like for me coming back was always like, well, what are the stories? You know, what do we? Uh, what's the reason for for being at this point? I mean, there's many reasons for being one of one of them. Just one of them could be because people want to see it. Another would be because Chris or someone 
that Chris uh, knows and likes uh, says, oh, I've got a story to tell. Check this out. This is how we can do this now. There, there's not there's not a world in which we just come back and do it the way we did it before, you know, because the world yeah. has changed. So it's like, yeah. how do we how do we change with it? Like, if you could make the pitch to me and said, let's do it this way now, which is kind of yeah. like how I got back in the last time I was like, OK, let, let me try that. And as an actor, you go, OK, you're going to play this guy in his 30s and now in his 60s. It's like that's an interesting challenge, but you don't want to play it the same way. You don't want to have to tell the same stories because that becomes kind of weird and obscene. Right. There needs to be growth. You don't want to be the stone still writing about <laughs> making out with girls in the backseat of a car when they're 80 years old. <laughs> I suppose not. I mean, uh, you could do it and you could make a lot of money at it, but <laughs> part of you would die. Part of you would die. <laughs> so there needs to be a good reason. All right. I'll start thinking and I'll get back to you. <laughs> yeah, please, please get, get in touch with Chris. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Are you still in touch with him? Do you, do you yeah. talk with him a lot? We're very good friends. Very good friends. Yeah, we awesome. speak uh, a lot. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, I await the the next X Files re revival with bated <laughs> breath. Okay. Um, but you're also directing again, like you said at the beginning. As a big House of D fan, I'm just excited to see <clears throat> that you're adapting. Thank you. Uh, some of your books. Yeah, no problem. It was really a great movie, and Robin Williams gives a great performance in it. There's a lot of great performance. Yeah. In it. Yeah. And you said Bucky fucking Dent is is the, the yeah. one that's in post right now. I love Logan Marshall Green. Yeah. I love Stephanie Beatriz. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. No, they, 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 they were amazing. I, yeah. I, I love them both, too. I didn't know Logan before. He was so wonderful. And, and Stephanie, uh, I really discovered, like, looking to cast this part, and I, I fell in love with her work. She's just so uh, versatile. Yeah, she's really, really talented. Every performance I've seen has been completely different from the last, which is yeah, really right. Nice. I know. Even so, her voice, you know, the, yeah. I expected her voice to be as deep as mine because of Brooklyn Nine Nine. Right. You know, you hear her singing in canto. You know, she's mm -hmm. just uh, yeah, really, really talented. Yeah, it's crazy. What's that process been like for you? Because you're adapting your own novel. How is that yeah. adaptation process for you? Is that painful? Is it difficult? Is it really easy? I'd say it's painful. <laughs> um, it, it, painful, not so much shooting it, but, but like getting the script right. And it was actually really interesting because as I, I worked on it with Logan, uh, before we were shooting, we got to, we got to rehearse a bit and, uh, he went and read the novel after he read the script and he came to me and he said, there's some stuff here in the novel that I really think if we could find a way to get it back into the movie, that'd be great. And I was like, really? And then he he showed me a few passages, a few a few moments, and I was like, yeah, no, that's good stuff. I, I like to get that in there too, you know. So it was really having having Logan collaborate with me in the early stages of like putting this up as a as, as a movie again was uh, very helpful. So yeah, you know, when you're when you're adapting yourself, you can kind of kind of be mean to the the source guy, <laughs> the source material. It's like, yeah, fuck him. You know, I was just like, this is good. All right, whatever. Yeah. Sometimes you're too close to it. You need someone to kind of back up and see that, see it for what it is. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You do. Because, you know, I, if I've lived with something for seven years or whatever, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to discount it, you know, a little bit. I'm going to reach for the new thing, you know, <laughs> just because it doesn't strike me in the way that it used to. And then 
somebody else coming into it completely fresh like Logan did. He's like, no, no, this is good stuff here. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, that's definitely in my highly anticipated list. Also, Kenya Barris and Jonah Hill's You People. I know you have a part in that. Yeah. With Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Eddie Murphy, Jonah Hill, Mm -hmm. all those people. What was your experience on that one? And what can you tease about it? I had a great time making that. I love Kenya Barris. And uh, I, I, I love Jonah and, and Julia and, and Eddie was great. I mean, I just had a great time making it. It was just talented people, funny, funny people. And the and the uh, the movie itself. I mean, like I said, I love Kenya's stuff, and I feel like it's a really uh, smart, seriously funny movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what I I, I got to talk to you know. Kenya you got to see what you can say. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to position it, but I guess it's, you know, like, I guess who's coming to dinner, you know, mm. in a way, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. uh, updated for our times. Yeah. And then you're, you're at, are you adapting truly like lightning as well for a miniseries or is that being pitched still? Trying to, trying to, no, I, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have that sold. I haven't, I haven't pitched it out yet again. No, but uh, I plan to. Nice. Well, definitely looking forward to pretty much everything you've got coming, David. I appreciate that. Yeah. I want to thank you again for taking the time to speak with me. For people listening, The Estate is currently in select theaters and on demand. David's graphic novel, Kepler, hits shelves on December 27th. Highly recommend both. David, again, truly a pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. 